we are continuing our series entitled In This House, and we're taking a look at generosity. And the title of this weekend's message is, We Live to Give. In this house, we live to give. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit differently than I've been doing the first couple of messages in this series here at our Scottsdale campus. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to one spot this weekend. It's First Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, I could do the rest of the series going through the life of King David. You could say that in some ways we've built this church around the way that King David did things. And that's probably not a bad pattern if you're going to pattern after somebody, right? I mean, we could have picked Jonah, right? I mean, how, how many of you would be here if we patterned after Jonah? Not too many of you, know what I'm saying? King David's a pretty good one to pattern after, especially considering that God said of him, this is a man after my own heart. Well, if we're trying to build a church after God's own heart, it kind of makes sense to pay close attention to people like King David in Scripture and to pattern some of the things that we do after his model. King David is a phenomenal role model, and especially as it relates to generosity. Right now, remember, as we jump into this, and I know I don't need to tell you this if you call this church your home, but a message on generosity is not a message on money. You understand that, right? I mean, everybody kind of understands it, because some people, when they hear the pastor say, this weekend's message is on generosity, it's like you start flinching, you know? You, you just start, you know, doing this number, and it's like, hey, whoa, whoa, take some deep breaths, all right? I'm not reaching into your back pocket and grabbing your wallet. Relax, okay? And it's a little bit small-minded to think that generosity is only about money. Because if generosity were only about money, God would have written a check to get you out of hell. That wasn't in my notes right there. I love those kind of things. That's just fun right there. When you're a preacher, that's just fun. That wasn't in my notes. When you start hearing him talking, you're like, this is going to be fun tonight. This is going to be fun. Let's just jump right into it. Let me give you a couple of things. If you're going to understand generosity and you're going to understand the heart we have here at Gateway Church for generosity and making it one of the pillars we built this church around, not upon, the church is built upon Jesus. He, he is He's the one, all right? But there are some, some ways in which I believe God builds his church through Jesus. Jesus said, I will build my church. Generosity is one of those ways, all right? So here's the first thing you've got to know if you're going to understand generosity. Point number one, generosity is possible because of stewardship. Generosity is possible because of stewardship. Now, let me give you three very important things that will give you a good understanding of stewardship, all right? You need all three of these things in order to be a good steward in the kingdom of God, all right? Here's the first thing you need to be a good steward in the kingdom of God, godly perspective. If you're going to be a godly steward, you're going to have to be a person who has godly perspective. King David in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 gives us what this godly perspective looks like. Listen to what he says. He is about to stroke the biggest check 
in all of human history going towards the kingdom, all right? I mean, he is, if, if, for, if, if you were to adjust it, adjust it based upon inflation, we're talking about a gift to the house of the Lord to help build the house of the Lord with a B in front of it. Billion, not millions, billion, scholars say. He's about to write this check personally, and then all of the people are giving sacrificially as well. And look at the perspective, because you know, if you were about to write a check that had a B in front of it to the house of the Lord, I am pretty sure you might walk in the next week with a little bit of a swagger. <laughs> B, people. I'm given a check that has a B to build the house of the Lord. But watch how King David operates related to godly perspective. He says, but me, God, who am I? And who are these, my people, that we should presume to be giving some, something to you? Everything comes from you. There is no swagger in his stance. Everything comes from you. All we're doing is giving back what we've been given from your generous hand. As far as you're concerned, we're homeless. Shiftless wanderers like our ancestors, our lives mere shadows, hardly anything to us. God, our God, all these materials, and I love the way the message translates this next part, these piles of stuff, he's pointing at gold and silver and a bunch of very valuable stuff, these piles of stuff for building a house of worship for you, honoring your holy name. It all came from you. It was all yours in the first place. Okay, now think about this for a moment. If I stood up here and took credit for all of the growth we have seen at this church, if I stood up and said, people, here am I. Look upon me. Look what I've done in the last five and a half years. I've been a busy bee. Look at all this. I did this. Okay, would you think I sounded a little bit crazy and foolish? How many of you would, think, would say yes? Okay, listen to me closely. That's what it sounds like when you take credit for anything you have as though you earned it and God didn't give it. it sounds just as crazy as if I were to take credit. That's crazy. I can't take credit for this. God and a bunch of incredibly sacrificial people can take credit for what is happening here. I can't in the same way. You and I cannot take credit for everything we have. It's all been given to us by God. Here's the second thing. If you're going to be a godly steward, you're going to have to understand godly spending. Godly spending is a huge part of godly stewardship. Most people think that stewardship is all about how you save money. Saving money is a part of godly stewardship when we talk about finances. But stewardship isn't just saving money. Real godly stewardship is how you spend money. And there are only two ways to use money on the earth. You can either waste it or invest it. Those are the two options. Waste it or invest it. A godly steward looks to invest all of their resources, not just their financial resources, their time, their talent, and also their treasure. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20 says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Okay, listen to me closely. 
It is not a value here at Gateway Church that we just walk around doing this all the time. Now, it doesn't mean we're just going to spend and spend and spend, of course. But it also, one of the things I've learned is it doesn't, it, it just as much means we're not going to just save and save and save. There's got to be a balance. I go all the way back to when uh, Brad came on staff and it was the first year of our church and things were, when, when you say paycheck to paycheck, I mean, the church had $800 in our savings account and just about every other week, the two of us wondered, how in the world are we going to be able to pay all this? And, and what that does, if, if you've ever been through a season like that, it can make you extremely tight. And so when things started to break and we started to see more resources, uh, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. Brad and I started hiding it everywhere. I mean, just everywhere. If it was like someone, a, a family would give a generous gift and the two of us would celebrate for a millisecond and hide it immediately. Don't touch it. Don't tell any of the staff. Don't let anyone know. Just hide it. Because remember what it was like a couple months ago? We didn't even know if we had enough to pay the bill until the Lord corrected us. He said, listen, if you're going to steward my church, you're going to have to understand the balance between saving and spending. And if you really want to know, if you want to talk about your personal finances, how can you be a godly steward as it relates to spending? Here's what I would say. Don't spend money on anything he wouldn't spend money on. Well, President, I don't think he would take vacations. But listen, 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, God gives us everything richly for our enjoyment. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but you and I both know that we can all have a tendency to waste the resources God has given us. In order to be a godly steward, we have to be godly spenders. Here's the third thing that we have to be. We have to have a godly motivation. If we're going to be godly stewards, we have to have a godly motivation. Luke chapter 16, verse 11. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? If you can't be trusted with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Okay, this brings up an interesting thought. And let me explain it like this. Because God's talking about in Scripture, he's saying, okay, there are two currencies here. You have the currency of earth and you have the currency of heaven. The currency of earth is money. The currency of heaven is souls. Now think about this. Who will trust you, Gateway Church, with true riches, with heavenly riches, with the currency of heaven. Who will trust you with souls, Preston? If you're a bad steward with measly little cents. Our motivation here to be good stewards with the resources that God gives us is to be able to show him how highly motivated we are to see souls saved and the boundaries of heaven expanded. But some of you didn't even know one of the ways we show the Lord that we're serious about souls is that we steward what God gives us. How can anyone ever trust you 
with the currency of heaven. If you're untrustworthy with the currency of earth. Strong, strong passage. That leads us to the second point. If you really want to understand generosity, you got to understand this. Generosity is impossible without sacrifice. Generosity is impossible without sacrifice. You see, generosity is not just the decision to give something. Generosity is the decision to share something. But how many of us know that going all the way back to when we were very young children, our favorite word going all the way back was what? Mine. One of your siblings grabbed your toy that you just got for your birthday. They start playing with it. What did you say? You didn't just say, that's mine. You screamed with a blood-curdling scream. That's mine! Why? Because when you're immature, that's what ownership sounds like. But see, there's a difference between ownership and stewardship. Ownership always struggles. When you think you own something, when you think it's yours, you will always struggle to share it. But the generous understand it's more fun to share than it is to hoard. Now, I am preaching to the choir here, and I understand that. Okay? This is one of the most generous churches I know. L- let me just ask it in this way. How many churches do you know that are as young as us, as new as us, who don't even have their own building, who have a miracle offering to raise money so that some other people that many of you will never even meet can have their own building? Listen, that that just sounds crazy, doesn't it? Yeah, because you're crazy. Crazy generous. Listen, listen to what Paul says. Acts chapter 20, verse 33. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, one of the reasons that sacrifice is so important in the kingdom is because it breaks the power of mammon over our lives. Now, let's just talk money for a moment. Okay, remember, because we said the currency of earth is money, all right? Let me show you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He makes a very profound statement. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. How do I know I am not enslaved to money? Well, I think there are several answers, but one of the easiest ways to know is I'm not just generous, I'm sacrificially generous. Think about this. The church is meant to be 
and, and I'm going to show you this in just a few moments, the church was meant to be, I believe, the most generous organization on planet Earth. Christians were meant to be known as generous. Well, think about this. When you go to a restaurant, how often when someone has been serving you for the better part of two hours, how often do you tip what is considered to be the bare minimum? When was the last time you had a 61-year-old server, a widowed sweet woman who was serving you? Let's say your bill was $100 and you tipped her 1000 Well, Preston, that's ludicrous. No, that's generous. How do you think a 61-year-old woman who's recently widowed responds to a $1,000 tip on a $100 bill? Not with words. With tears. Just like you would. And what, what do you think when she finds the words, what do you think she says to you when she stops crying? She wants to know something because she's never seen anybody be as generous as you. She wants to know what motivates your sacrificial generosity because nobody's ever done what you just did. She chases you out to the parking lot and she just wants one question answered, and here is the question. Why would you do something like this? And if you've ever wondered how we answer that question, when we pull up on a street corner and give away free showers to people who don't have homes in the middle of 115-degree days, let me tell you what our answer is. Because someone loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you long before we brought this shower to you. Jesus died for you because he loves you. Yeah, but what does that have to do with you giving me a shower? We're followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus loved. Because he loved, he gave. It's so funny to me when, when Christians say, it's so hard to share my testimony with people. Not if you tip $1,000 on a $100 bill, it's not. <laughs> Preston, are you buying souls? You got a problem with that? <laughs> Jesus said, hey, the brilliant play is to take unrighteous mammon and use it for righteous purposes. That's real generosity. Well, Preston, this is rubbing me the wrong way. Maybe because you walk around like this all the time. That leads us to point number three. Generosity and love are inseparable. Generosity and love are inseparable. It is impossible to be stingy and loving at the same time. Let me take you all the way back to when I was in college. I was walking this out and I didn't even know it. When I was in college, uh, I, I dated a few girls. Uh, two of my three kids are in this service, so I didn't date very many girls. <laughs> but I dated several. And I, there was something I did with all of them. 
I never took any of them, either of them, I should say. <laughs> I never took either of them to a nice restaurant. In fact, I never took a girl to a nice restaurant until Holly, who would later become my wife. And I did something back in college that really rubbed girls the wrong way. And that ornery side of me kind of liked it because it, they didn't realize it. But it was a test. And many of them, both of them, <laughs> failed. They failed. And here was the test. I took both girls that I dated to Denny's. There's a Denny's right down the road from Grand Canyon. It was not in the best part of town. Uh, it, it was not the nicest Denny's you've ever been in, but they had $1.99 Grand Slams. So I would take this young lady to Denny's, and I, I would be generous with her. I would say, listen, I want you to get whatever you want. <laughs> Even if you want two Grand Slams, <laughs> you go ahead. And there was, there was one of the two girls who <laughs> responded like this. When we pulled into Denny's, I started hearing audible noises. <coughs> totally passive aggressive. Didn't say anything. <coughs> you okay over there? You got something in your throat? Take her in. We didn't even finish the meal. She was so frustrated. I want to read you a passage of scripture and I want you to see the principle at play here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Listen to this next part. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. It doesn't say heart first, treasure second. It says treasure first, heart second. I knew these girls. I didn't love these girls. Why would I take you to Ruth's Chris when I know you're going to be gone in like five weeks? Let's just go to Denny's. I'm not going, and some of the ladies are laughing like, I would never have married Preston. Well, that's on you, not on me. <laughs> you wouldn't have passed my test anyways. <laughs> well, Preston, I have a little girl, and I'm raising her to believe that if a man really loves her, He's going to lavish things upon her. Listen to me closely. I had nothing when my wife met me. I wore white athletic socks with used black dress shoes from last chance in the middle of Phoenix. I had nothing impressive at all. Except when I met her, I found out what love was.
And love doesn't have anything to do with money, but it has a lot to do with sacrifice. And when I took her to Ruth's Chris for the first time, she didn't know, but I was celebrating on the inside. I think God was too. Because I wasn't about to waste money on somebody that was going to forget my name for the rest of their life. Jesus says, listen, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Not where your heart is, your treasure will follow. Where your treasure is. Think about it this way. Don't take this the wrong way if you have kids. But I love my kids more than I love your kids. And you love your kids more than I, you, you love my kids. And there's a very simple reason for that. There's a very simple reason that I love my children more than I love your children. Because my children have cost me so much more money than your children have. <laughs> it's common sense. Why do you think I love my wife so much? <laughs> she knows better. I'm so much more expensive than her. <laughs> I'm on the couch tonight for sure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about this. How can we convince the world that we actually love them if we hold on to everything God has given to us? And don't let them ever experience the joy of receiving, being on the receiving end of someone else's sacrificial generosity. Jesus made it simple. Treasure first, heart second. I'm going to read you a verse that you all know. But it puts into perspective why generosity is meant to be something the church is known for. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he he gave he didn't just send he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life this one verse right here is a constant reminder that as Christians as the church of God as the children of God, we are meant to be known for our sacrificial generosity. The elements of John 3.16 are very simple. Love, give, save. Love gives. And sacrificial generosity gets the attention of people who are hurting and empty. And listen, especially in a town like this town, where so many people fall asleep at night thinking money is the answer, but when they see us as believers in Jesus being more generous than anybody else, it rocks their world. Why? Because mammon doesn't have power over us. And because God loves the way he does. And he loves so much that he gave his one and only son. If he's known for his love, and his generosity. Shouldn't we be known for those very same things as well? Of course we should. And that leads us 
to the last point, and this is going to shock some of you, and it's intended to mess with some of you, all right? Generosity makes way for even more. Generosity makes way for even more. Let me read you through two passages of Scripture, and then let's talk. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Before I address the awkwardness in the room, let me read one more passage. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Let me make a statement that is going to shock some of you. Here at Gateway Church, we absolutely give to get. Some of you are thinking, hold on just a second, Preston. Now, I've listened to every one of Pastor Robert Morris's messages on giving, and one of the chapters in his amazing book is, we don't give to get. And I agree with that. We don't give to get, but we do give to get. It's both. Let Let me make it really simple for you. We give not to get so that we can keep. One of the reasons we give is because Scripture says we will get in return. We give to get so we can give even more. That's it right there. We don't give to get so we can keep. We give to get so we can give even more. I believe it's a divine game between God and his children. I know we can't outgive God, but I promise you this, I'm going to die trying. I'm going to die trying. And here's why. Because love always gives. And if in John 3:16 we see that love gives and when love gives, it often leads to souls, then you best believe I'm going to love more than I ever have and I'm going to give more than I ever have. And just like Paul, I'll do all that even just for one. And one of the most romantic and extravagant things we could ever do as a church is pull our our shower trailer up to a street corner or the food trailer. And if there's just one person on that street corner, instead of looking for a street corner where there's a bunch of other people who don't have homes, we stop right there and minister to that very one. And when that one person says, why? I'm the only one here. Why did you do this for me? Because let me tell you what Jesus did for you first. And we're just simply trying to remind you, as we do this for you, that God did something far more extravagant for you. Here. We're going to give, and we're going to give, and we're going to give. And listen, you have. I am not asking for anything. We're not taking up an offering. I'm preaching to the choir. You're amazing. I'm not trying to get you to give more. I'm just trying to remind everybody. Some people are new here, and they don't know this is one of the heartbeats of our church. I just want you to know the heart God has given us. When we started this church five and a half years ago, I had known for years that someday I would plant a church. And when I was 18, 
I felt the Lord make it obvious it was going to be in Scottsdale. I didn't plant the church until I was in my early 30s. So I had, I had nearly half of my life to think about what it was going to be like and what I was going to do when it was time to plant that church. Holly and I would talk about it frequently. And one of the things I told her is, baby, when that day comes, I want to give everything we have. I want to give the largest offering to the Lord that we have ever given. I want to empty all of our retirement. I want to do, I, I just want to give it all to God. And the closer we got to it, I'm not going to tell you the number because it doesn't even matter. I'm not trying to speak about myself. I'm trying to tell you how this church started. I remember the day I was spending some time with the Lord and I had figured out how much this number was going to be. And, and I kind of felt heavy a little bit. And I just felt like I heard the Lord say, why are you doing this? What is your motivation for doing this? And in that moment, I really searched my heart. Am I doing this to try and earn his favor? Am I, am I trying to get his attention? Am I doing this because I, I know Pastor Robert did this years before? Why am I doing this? And before I could overthink the whole thing, I heard myself say to the Lord, I'll tell you exactly why I'm doing this. I want you to know my intentions right here, right now. I'm going to go into that city, and we're going to give and give and give and give and give and give and give. And when people ask us why, we're not just going to say because love gives. We're going to say because God loves and God gave, and we're giving it all to. Listen to me. I believe one of the reasons that we're seeing God do what he's doing right now among us is because we're fighting really hard to keep a posture that looks like this. For God so loved the world that he gave. And I want every person in this valley, when they hear the name Gateway Church, I don't want them to think buildings. I don't want them to think lights. I don't want them to think beauty. I want them to have this thought. That's the church where God's presence is. And those are the most generous people I have ever been around in my entire life. With all of my heart, I believe generosity is one of the keys to seeing God show up in his house. We're not giving to get him here. We are giving because we know the only reason we're here is he first gave. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. 
For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.